0: Hello, this is J.C. Santana coming to you from the Institute of Human Performance. We're going to be doing something a little bit different, a little different format, talking about many of the same, same uh, topics, but in a little bit more illustrative way. We're going to be bringing videos. It's just not going to be me yapping and yapping. So you guys know this, and I'm going to be talking about this until I'm blue in the face and until you're tired, okay? Uh, And still, after that, I'm going to be talking about it some more. And you know me, I like to give credit where credit is due. And I love to pay respect to the giants that came before me, which has been lost in this new generation that they want to put out stuff like if it was their own. And it's not their own. It's not their own. It was there before. And sometimes they even straight up take it, borrow it, steal it, whatever you want to call it from other people. And they don't even have the graciousness of giving credit. That ain't me. That's not IHP. That's not how I raise my kids. So, much respect and much gratitude to the Giants that came before me, Gary Gray, Vern Gambetta, Michael Clark, Paul Check, because they all talked about this to some degree. The guy that nailed it, the guy that nailed it in 1987 and 1995, documented in the NSCA Journal was Vern Gambetta. He had two articles, and the name of the articles were How Much Strength is Enough, and I borrow that term because it doesn't even get more descriptive or better. So thank you, Vern, for everything you've done for the industry. Uh, thank you for all the counseling that you've given me. And just thank you for for being part of the strength and conditioning industry and adding so much to it. So anyways, we're going to be talking about how much strength is enough. But I'm going to give it a, a, little, um, a, a little twist uh, from a term that I believe I coined. Uh, I've never heard it before. That doesn't mean I I invented it, maybe somebody else used it, but I haven't heard it uh, in the industry and now you're gonna hear about it and you've heard about it from me before. Training the genetic bandwidth. Training the genetic bandwidth. And this was inspired by the work of David Epstein in his TED Talk, I encourage all of you to see that talk. David Epstein on, on, uh, on YouTube, TED Talk, about 15 minutes. And then uh, reading his uh, book, Sports Gene, all of the stuff that I'm talking about was inspired and clarified by David and Epstein. All right, and it goes really, really well with how much strength is enough that Vern Gambetta noticed in 1987. All right, so I have a gym. I've had gyms now for one way or another 30 uh, 30 years, and I've worked in my gym in, in a gym since I was 14. Managed my, uh, the first gym at 14 15. Brody's gym down in Uh, North River Drive in Miami, so I've been in this for for quite a while, quite a while, and I've seen just about everything, man. I've seen strength training taken to umpteenth levels. I've had the great opportunity uh, to train with uh, national caliber Olympic weightlifters and powerlifters and bodybuilders, and I was groomed with that at the age of 14, 15, so I know my way around a gym, and I know my way around training, and I can tell you the history of Many techniques that are used today, and some of them are seen as novel, all right? Uh, they're not novel. We were doing those in the in the 70s. So let's talk about, I'm going to have my coffee, and I'm going to have my notes, so we're, we're right there. Let's talk about modern strength training. I once heard from a, from a, a great, great uh, physiologist, uh, Mike Stone, Dr. Mike Stone, much love to him and his lovely wife, Meg Stone, for just pushing the envelope. And Mike Stone one day said, you know, you can never be strong enough. And he said it in jest. Uh, of course, uh, Mike Stone has never been a proponent of m- becoming so strong where you're hurting yourself. Nobody does that. So thank you, Mike. You- you're an awesome guy. And thank you, Meg, for everything you've added to the industry. But that, that thought, you can never be strong enough, in the hands of people who don't think can be dangerous. Very much like when Tito Ortiz was headlining uh, UFC, and uh, he would go to Big Bear and says, now I'm training for the title. Now, instead of four hours, I'm training eight hours. He really wasn't training eight hours. He might have spent eight hours in the gym, but he wasn't training for eight hours. So what does a young martial artist do with that information? He starts to train eight hours, okay? What does a young strength and conditioning coach uh, get from Mike Stone, Mr. Mike Stone, the guru, the God, you know, uh, saying you can never be strong enough? Well, You know, a 400-pound deadlift is better than a 300-pound deadlift. What are you? I'm a basketball player, but, you know, if you can never be strong enough and I'm deadlifting 300 pounds for a single, um, 350 is going to make me a higher jumper, a stronger basketball player, okay? And that misinterpretation, I think, has gotten us in a lot of trouble. Never in the history of sports medicine have we seen more, more abuse injuries, not contact injuries abusive injuries, injuries due to wear and tear, injuries created in the same environment that's meant to nurture you, which is a gym. Why? Because people are pursuing 300, 350, 400, 450, 500 on the squat, on the deadlift, on the high pulls, on the cleans, on the snatches, and on and on and on and on. We're selling agility ladders, bullet belts, and all of these SAQ pieces of equipment that were popularized by Randy Smythe in the 80s. I was part of that revolution, SAQ, and you can see in my videos. I co-wrote uh, um, books with uh, Lee Brown and uh, Vance Ferrigno and other great, great authors like Stephen Plisk uh, and John Graham on SAQ. Okay. And I was a co-editor on on those books, and and, um, I kind of arranged the selection of exercises. So we went off on SAQ, and you could never do enough drills on the agility ladder. You could never do enough drills on the side strike. You could never do enough drills on the hurdles. And we went A crazy on these drills, thinking that the better we did the drills, the more we lifted, the stronger we got, the better football player we were going to become, the better basketball player we were going to become, the better baseball player, tennis player, soccer player. And it turned out that that was not the case. Pretty much, I'll give you a, a, an example. I'm a frustrated musician, and you know that when you're learning piano, you learn scales. That's to get dexterity in the hands. But if you look at the best, the best songwriters, songwriters... You know, anybody from uh, Stevie Wonder down to Sting and and all the contemporary, the Beatles and Led Zeppelin and all the contemporary artists and bands and individual artists like Elton John and and those types of guys. And you look at the prowess on the piano, none of them are classical pianists. None of them kill scales, okay? That's not their gig. They have enough dexterity to play the piano, to play the guitar and compose but what makes them the artist is not the speed that's not as a matter of fact the fastest people that do scales are probably you don't even know them because they're not that great of musicians they're great technicians they may be great teachers they may be able to demonstrate a scale at lightning speed but that doesn't mean that they can compose that doesn't mean that can they can up and slow and up and slow it down and move you with their music that's a musician that's a musician so to be a technician on scales and be a musician is a long jump to be a great great guy on an agility ladder okay uh and to be a great wide receiver that's a different thing man uh, I don't think Messi. I don't think Jerry Rice. I don't think none of that. I don't think Kobe, Michael Jordan, Federer. None of those guys. I don't think no those guys would kill an agility ladder. I mean, we got guys on the internet that are going ape shit on the agility ladders, you know, and, and straight up stupid stuff, right? Uh, we'll, which we'll show later. So we have to take a step back and say, what is training? What is training? What, are, what what's the equipment? What is it made for? How much should I master it? At what point does it become a point of diminishing returns? How much agility ladder do I have to do to teach my feet how to move? Now, once I teach my feet how to move, I gotta teach them how to move for boxing. I gotta teach them how to move for soccer. I gotta teach them how to move for basketball. I don't keep teaching it how to do another agility ladder move because, oh, it's a new one that I'm gonna learn, so it's gonna make my feet uh, faster. No, it gets to the point where you get better at the agility ladder, all right, and no better at soccer. So you're spending hours on agility ladder and showing off on the agility ladder, and you're getting pummeled in soccer. You're not getting that scholarship. You're not getting that raise in your contract. You're not winning the titles. The same thing goes for every training method you can think of. The same thing goes for weight. Okay. All right. If you if you have a 150 pound deadlift, let's say. Okay. And you're a 200 pound guy. And you play football, or you play basketball, it doesn't matter, and you have a 150 pound deadlift, you go, okay, at, a, at 200 pounds, just generally speaking, but he's a hell of a basketball player, or a hell of a soccer player, uh, it, it, might, it might, just from experience, anecdotal stuff, it might help him to get a little bit of strength, to move a little faster, maybe to move his deadlift to, let's say, 200. Maybe you should uh, deadlift body weight. Maybe body weight is, is the number, and I'm not saying that it is, but maybe that's the number. And when you get to 200 pounds, deadlift, you're done. You just keep practicing deadlifts for five, deadlift for five. You never get hurt, and you have enough strength for movement in soccer, jumping in basketball, uh, agility in, in, in boxing. See? So searching and pursuing that 250, 300, 350 over the course of high school, college, and then the pros... Is not necessary, and it's that pursuit that ends up, all right, causing knee problems, hip problems, elbow problems, and before you know it, we have artificial joints. Why? Not necessary, all right. So I kind of gave you the um, that that synopsis of what we're going to be talking about. So if you look at modern strength training, look at YouTube, look at YouTube, and you will see insanity, all right. Way too heavy on the strength training, guys. There's nobody on this planet with the exception of a power lifter and an Olympic weightlifter, and really a power lifter because even Olympic weightlifter, you're so limited by technique that after a while, it doesn't matter how strong you are. If you don't have the timing and that weight is just a millimeter off center, you're going, it, it, you, you can't hold it. Okay, so it gets to a point, and with the higher the skill, the less strength. Okay, the lower the skill the higher the strength you can express. So unless you're an Olympic weightlifter or a powerlifter, th- there's no need to be cleaning 300 pounds, 400 pounds, 250. I don't even think 200. 200 is a big clean for, for, for just a normal athlete. So we're going way too heavy on the strength training. Okay? Um, we're violating the genetic bandwidth. What is ge- the genetic bandwidth? The genetic bandwidth is your potential. Your genetic potential. You have a potential for height. So imagine how stupid it would be for me to tell you, well, now you got to do a thousand pull-ups a week so you can go from 5'9 to 5'10. And what you hear that, what would you say? This guy's an idiot. Okay? Guy's an idiot. So, so you go, you know, hey man, if if you do, you know, like if you do a hundred pull-ups in one workout once a week, or if you do a hundred pull-ups a week, that's plenty of pull-ups. Jesus Christ, that's way too much pull-ups. But that's plenty of pull-ups. You don't need to go to 1,000 because from 100 to 1,000, you're going to be doing damage. Condyles, tendinitis, all kinds of stuff, overtraining, this and that, right? So training the genetic bandwidth is extremely important because it keeps you within your safety margins. Okay, not all, not all bodies are meant to um, squat, even to parallel. Not all bodies are meant to even overhead press, not even with 10-pound dumbbells because the shoulder's not made for that, okay? We cover all of this in our biomechanics uh, of uh, of function and throughout our our certifications because we talk about this kind of stuff, you know? So you have to honor, okay, the genetic bandwidth. Well, how do you know you're staying in your genetic bandwidth? It's been in front of us the whole time, and that is the overtraining syndrome. If you're going to practice tired, I used to remember Vern Gambetta, and I and I didn't understand it when I was in my thirties and forties. I didn't understand it because I was all full of testosterone and rah, you know. And he says you should leave your your strength and conditioning, um, strength training session, fresh, with energy. I'm going. Then you're not training hard enough, you know. That's that was me, right? Young cat, right? Young thunder cat. And uh, now I understand why. Now I understand why you need to leave your strength and conditioning fresh because that keeps that freshness that reserve and energy is used for recovery you have to have energy to sleep when you're too tired you can't even sleep when you're too tired you can't even eat when you're too tired your body can't even take it care of itself so you can never get so exhausted okay that your body can't recover so you go okay carlos but wait a minute how do i push then this is how you push you stimulate the body, leave it within the energy to recover. When it can recover, it overcompensates. You know, salient gas syndrome, it overcompensates, then you stimulate it, then it overcompensates, Stimulate it, overcompensates. That's what happens, and when that happens, okay, you wanna to get to 10, okay? You train to eight, there's an overcompensation, all right? Now you can do 11, you train to nine, there's overcompensation, Yeah, you go to 12. And now your 80% is your, the 10 that you used to want. So you can train at 80%, leave 24, let's say, and I'm just using fictitious numbers, train to 80%, leave room for the super compensation, and as you get stronger, what you wanted will be 80%. Okay, so if you wanted your, to be able to go for five minutes hard in the, in the cage, or if you wanted whatever, you know, you'll get there, and it won't be that hard to do. If you give your body enough time, and that is done by the, the uh, honoring the genetic bandwidth. So if you're too tired, you have pain that doesn't go away, you have insomnia, okay? And then you get upper respiratory infections because you're not recovering because you've got a compromise the immune system. Those four things in that order, okay? Tired, pain, lack of sleep, upper respiratory infection, cold. When you have those and you cycle through those, you're violating your genetic bandwidth, period end of story, don't do it, all right? So, so how much is enough? At what point is the diminishing return? Is it 200 for me? Is it 300 for that guy? Is it 150? Go by the tired, pain, sleep, okay, and um, and cold. So if you're staying healthy and you're not hurting, chances are you're in that zone, okay? But now, technically, you may be a monster, for example. Let's say that you're a monster, just physically a monster, and your potential of a deadlift is, let's say, 400 pounds. You're 200 pounds, you're a football player, linebacker in high school, uh, and you're 220, 230, whatever the number is, and you are deadlifting in high school 300 pounds. Okay, pretty damn respectable. And I know there's guys in, in, in high school that are doing five, 600 pounds, you know, the freaks, but normal people, I deal with normal people, okay? Let's say that you're 230, 220, you play linebacker in high school, and you got a 300-pound deadlift, all right? Okay, uh, um, how are you doing? Oh, I'm, I'm hitting people, man, left and right. Okay, so why do we need, are you fast enough? Yeah, I'm running a 4.5, 4.6 in high school. Holy Jesus, 4.6, legit 4.6 in high school at 230, 300-pound deadlift. That, that to me is, don't touch the dude. Do not touch the guy. I don't want him doing 325 on the deadlift, I don't do him 350 because he is banging right now. What I need him is to have better quality practice, support the practice, and leave him as is. Because if I try to go to 350 to 400 to make him a better linebacker, okay, and I don't know where the genetic bandwidth is, okay, it could be 350, it could be 400. But the thing is, why allocate the resources? To go from 300 to a 400 pound deadlift requires resources, time energy and there, it's wear and tear on the body. Why go to 400 if 300 is giving you everything you need? All right. So this is what I'm talking about. The same thing with the jump shot. Oh my, my son needs a, a, a higher vertical jump. So he needs to do Olympic weightlifting and, and squatting. Do you, do you guys do that? And then you go, wait a minute. Uh, what does he play? Oh, he's uh he's 6'2. He's a shooting guard in high school or in college. All right. Uh, how's he doing? He's doing pretty good. He's starting this and that. So, so why are you messing with him? Why are you messing with him? The kid has a bodyweight squat, 200 pounds for five, let's say. Okay. It's, it's nothing crazy. 200 pounds for five. He's got a deadlift of 200 pounds for five. Done. He jumps. He has a 27 inch vertical. Nothing crazy. 27 inch vertical. We need a 36 inch vertical. Why? Why? He's a shooting guard. When was the last time you saw a shooting guard jump, forget 36 inches, 20 inches for a a jump shot? Jump shots, whether it's from the three-point line, free throw line, or inside the paint, are about positioning. They're not about height. You get bad positioning, I don't care what your height is, okay? You get a lot of height, and you have no skills, and you're hitting that backboard like a cement factory. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. So, why do we need more vertical. Why do we need to burden this kid with a heavier squat jump, a higher pull, a bigger deadlift, and then plyometric training, all right, so he can get a higher vertical when he's 6'2", he's in college, all right, he's leading his team in points, well, what do I care what he jumps? And plus, most 99% of all the jump shots he does are below, whoa, are below the knee height. So if you measure from the ground to the knee, look up on YouTube, Look up best jump shots of 2020, 2019. I don't care. Look up Michael Jordan, and you'll see that most of the time, those sweet jump shots, the fadeaways, even the jump shots from the three lines that are not challenged. They come up to the the, the, the three-point line. They look. They jump about six inches, and whoosh. Okay? So why are we doing plyometrics? Why are we doing all this heavy shit with, with basketball players? for a greater vertical jump, when a greater vertical jump doesn't, it's not even used in the NBA, even centers, we train some of the centers, okay, all right, from, uh, from the European League, we train point guards from the European League, you know, these guys that are not in the NBA, we don't train anybody from the NBA, but we train several basketball players that are in the European League, uh, Asian League, they go to the islands and play and all that stuff. None of them. We don't train vertical jump, zero vertical jump. We don't train heavy squatting, zero heavy squatting, zero deadlifting. We keep them healthy. Why? So they can practice on the court, get good positioning, because success in sports is not about strength. Listen to me. Not about strength. It's about positioning. And that is technique and tactics, period, end of story. Got it? being stronger will help you being stronger will reduce uh injuries no doubt about it but it's not the strength that we've been selling so now let's talk about some of the crazy stuff that we see in uh in youtube all right we see insane jump training go to youtube or go to google and say increase vertical jump programs vertical jump programs and you will see a slew like this, $49.99, $9.99, $100, videos, books, programs, bam, 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 for what? What are we increasing vertical jump for? For what, okay? Genetically, all right, if you are a college volleyball player, there ain't no college volleyball player, right off the bat, that's jumping 12 inches. Why? Because you wouldn't make the team. You wouldn't make the team. What happens when you have any sport at any level, they recruit. They go, okay, hey, guys, we need uh, football players. We need basketball players. We need fighters, special armed forces. We need badasses. And those who think that fit the bill, they come. And they put them through numbers. They put them through skills. They put them through training. They, they test them. They test them. They test their heart. They test their will. They'll run them a little bit, not to see who's got VO2, but who gets the shin splints, and then who, who bitches about the shin splints. That's what they do they they pull out the genetic cream that rises to the top the genetics they pull out the genetics so if you're five six you're not you're, you're not making the cut okay if you're if your vertical jump is six inches and you don't know nothing about position and you don't know how to dribble you're not making the game you're, you're, you're not making the team if you're uh i don't know if you're going for uh, special armed forces and uh, you can't get drowned in the pool and you get shin splints, and you get uh, all antsy when you don't sleep well, you're not making it. You're not making the first cut at Bud's training. You're just not. So what do they do? Whether it's a football team, special forces, anything, they recruit, they put you through the paces to see, all right, who's doing well, and then from there they teach you the skills. So all this jump training that's insane, all this jump searching and, and, and jump envy, all right, Vertical jump, world record vertical jump. Vertical jump is bullshit. It's that simple. It's that simple. You have a great vertical jump. You're in front of a seven-four center with a wingspan of seven feet, and you're six feet, six feet four, and you have bad position. They're gonna bat that ball out of the left field mark in a game in a basketball game. So that's how far that ball is gonna go. All right. But if you're Spud Webb, Spud Webb, how come Spud Webb? Okay, there's not too many of them, obviously. But how come Spud Webb was able to score in the NBA at 5'6", 5'8", whatever the hell he was? Because he was in good position. If you're in good position, you can score, period. Physics will take care of the height. Physics will take care of the vertical jump. Got it? All right, so we also see uh, some crazy, crazy stuff on the agility ladder, you know? I mean, we got agility ladder people doing agility ladder in the sand. So you're doing plyometric training in the sand. You're an idiot because sand amortizes. Sand increases amortization time, which is the opposite of plyometric training, which intends to reduce, reduce uh, amortization time through joint stiffness. Okay, sand may get you in condition, but sand won't make you fast from a, from a standpoint of stiffness and, um, and and getting the neural components of that stiffness okay myotatic reflex and all that stuff I don't even want to get into that you need to be on the surface that you're playing okay on the surface that you're playing so you can have the right amount of stiffness and proprioception at the ankle to cut to jump to run got it so these guys that are doing training training with an agility ladder underwater for crying out loud in sand in wet sand in sand in three inches of water and on and on and on where's that guy where is the famous guy on the agility ladder? He doesn't do anything. And you see him catching pads, uh, catching balls with, with a helmet and pads. Who? What are you pretending? Hey, look, man, I can get dressed up as a surgeon all I want. Doesn't mean I can perform surgery, okay? I can teach Discovery Channel surgery and get there with my mask and, and even go into an operating room and operate on a dummy. And you guys go, damn, Carlos really knows a lot about surgery. That don't make me a surgeon. So... You know, some of these guys are doing agility ladder stuff and then going out with helmets and pads, catching balls. Bro, if you were all that, you'd be on a football team. If you were all that, you'd be playing soccer. Oh, no, you're not all that. What do you do? Oh, you're the master of stupid agility ladder training. All right, great. Thank you very much. The insane weights, okay? If you want to see insane weights being done terribly by people that have no business doing that, CrossFit fails. There they are. There they are with the Olympic lifts and all that insane weight. They're falling on their asses. They're getting crushed by snatches. Boom. Beautiful. All right. Oh yeah, we're doing that. That's great for that 15 year old that's coming in with his dad to, to hopefully make the high school team. Fantastic. Stupid. Don't do it. Oh, speed training. That's another one. And I was guilty of this when, when Randy Smythe first came out, I was into like, you can, you can teach speed. No man, you're born with a certain neural wiring where you're just fast, where you're just fast. And I am tired of preparing athletes to the umpteenth level. I prepared athletes to go to the Olympics, to go to the world championships, to go to world titles. I prepared athletes, and I'm telling you right now, we had the most prepared athlete on the field, on the mat, in the ring, in the cage, all day, and we lost, all day. The people who beat us, if they came into IHP, they would piss their pants just by walking in, forget about doing the workouts that we did. They couldn't survive the workouts. They couldn't survive the workouts, yet we lost. Yet we lost. Why? Because it's not about strength and conditioning. It's not about strength and conditioning, because I put the best strength and conditioning athlete in the playing arena 50 times, and I've come up short, okay? Okay. And I've been beaten, we have been beaten by guys who couldn't shine our shoes in the gym. So what's that about? What's that about? That means that what you're developing in the gym is not the end-all, be-all. As a matter of fact, it's not even close. You have to have a certain genetic disposition and then practice, and then practice. And when I say genetic predisposition, I'm not talking about physicality. I'm talking about mental. You don't think humor is genetic? You don't think IQ is genetic? You don't think uh, resilience is? internal resilience and spiritual strength is genetic. You bet your ass it is. Does it have a bandwidth? Yes, it does. Can you move people in that bandwidth? Yes, you can. So is strength training extremely important? Yes, because you can move somebody from middle of the bandwidth to their optimal. And then that's it. You got nothing else. As a strength and conditioning coach, once you move them to the optimal strength, to, to, You know what it's called? It's called a plateau. So if you hit a plateau, stop breaking plateaus. When you break a plateau, you break the body. Here, quote me on that one. When you break a plateau, you're breaking the body. So leave the plateaus alone. Celebrate them. Don't see them as failure. Okay. Uh, of course we, oh, then we have the reaction time. That's beautiful. There's, I would tell you that there's not even, there's not even reaction time. That doesn't exist as we understand it. The ability to see something and react. Uh Uh-uh. That doesn't happen. The way this happens is there's chunking. There's predictions. The great athletes predict. It looks like they're reacting, but they're not. Read Sports Gene and read Range and read and listen to to David Epstein. The great athletes do not react. They look like they're reacting. They anticipate. They're already doing something, betting, rolling the dice that you're going to do this. And they're so good because they have practice. And when you practice, you chunk data, all right? And your predictions become extremely reliable. They're so good at predicting that it looks like they're reacting. They're there before you are, okay? So reaction time, forget about the little dots and all that bull. You're not gonna improve reaction time. That doesn't, you improve predictive time through chunking that happens through many, many hours of training. Um, And of course, we already talked about an example of overdoing stuff is scales. You learn scales in music to get dexterity. But after you have enough dexterity, then you got a solo. Then you got to play. Then you got to feel the other uh, musicians. You got to feel the audience. And that doesn't come from scales, okay? That comes from interacting with the audience. That comes from playing with other musicians. And that comes from your genetic creativity. All right? So that's a perfect example how it works in other fields. Learn from music and learn from other fields because you can see it there, all right? We don't have to kill people, okay? So let's look at the best. Let's look at the best that suck in gyms. Let's look at the best that are not strong. Uh, Okay, the greatest receiver of all time, Jerry Rice. This dude could guess what the defender was going to do he could guess well if the if the formation turns into this my quarterback is going to look at that and i got to be there if i see this formation all of this stuff jerry rice wasn't the fastest guy wasn't the strongest guy wasn't the quickest guy he had a feel a genetic feel for the field and he was the iron man of receivers 20 years in the league 20 plus years you're not going to find another one that way okay what did he bench what did he squat? What did he clean? Nothing. Zip. Okay. Uh, of course, the greatest of all time, the greatest of all time, Muhammad Ali. If you look at Muhammad Ali's footwork, you don't need agility ladder. What agility ladder? Did he have agility ladders? Did he have hurdles? Did he have five dot drills? Did he have anything in those days? And you will never, ever, ever, ever see a heavyweight, and I would venture to say a cruiser, and even a middleweight. Move like Muhammad Ali. If you look, okay, at the foot movement of Muhammad Ali, I'm telling you it is poetry in motion. It is a true, true um, comparison of poetry in motion. All right? No agility ladder. Nobody taught him that. He wasn't doing some stupid agility ladders on, on, on the sand and crisscross agility ladders and karaoke. None of that stuff. All of that. Waste of time. Okay? Messi. All right, you want to see more dexterity in feet? You want to see a better better coordination of the lower body? It doesn't come Ronaldo, Net Messi, monster. I bet you if Messi came in here, we would, who- I've got housewives, housewives here at IHP that would whoop Messi's ass in here. But talk to me, give that man a, a soccer ball, and he'll, he'll bake a lasagna for crying out loud. All right, so there's another example that strength and agility ladder and all that crazy stuff, that's not needed. Not when you have that kind of talent. How do you develop that kind of talent? Practice, 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 practice. All right? Colby. Colby, of course. You know? And with him, of course, comes Michael Jordan and everybody else. You, you know, the, the great guys. All right? Look at the movement that Colby had. Look at the grace that he had. Look at the agility that he had. How much did Colby squat? What did he deadlift? And so on and so forth. You, didn't, you, you wouldn't find that. You wouldn't find that anywhere because he didn't do it. How much agility ladder? How much agility ladder did he do? How much hurdles? How much plyometrics? Nothing. Colby lived with a basketball in his hand and was God given talent, all right, with God given talent to do incredible things. Not only that, he was a beautiful human being. All right. And of course, you have Fetter. Fetter, arguably one of the best tennis players to ever live. Okay. What does Fetter do? Okay. Uh, David Epstein in his book um, Range talks about Fetter versus um, uh, versus, um, uh, Tiger Woods. Tiger Woods is a different animal. Who has a higher injury profile? Tiger Woods. Okay. Why? Because Tiger Woods did some crazy shit in the gym. Tiger Woods would be pulling with 300 pounds on the deadlift, would be squatting a shitload of weight, did do some special forces training, did do things that tore up his body. Tiger Woods tore up his body through training, not golf, through training, not golf. You hear me? look at Fetter and look at Tiger. Okay? So, we got that. All right? So, what is the problem with all of this? To summarize it, we're killing people in gyms because we're violating the genetic bandwidth with stupid, stupid competitions within the gym, competing 300 against 325, 350 against 400. If he's deadlifts 300, then I got to deadlift 400. And that's not the way to make athletes better. We're killing athletes. We're giving them artificial hips and artificial knees by the bucket loads. Never have orthopedic surgeons been more happy than now. Why? Because strength and conditioning coaches are going apeshit, killing people in gyms. So stop that. We have to design uh, and support quality training. And even the tactical and technical coaches are full of it. Because they're doing two-a-days. They're sparring eight rounds a day. They're doing, oh, recovery 50-mile bike rides. Recovery, recovery, recovery is a whirlpool. It's a nap, okay? It's a good meal. It's a massage. Recovery ain't a jog for five miles, a fifty-mile bike ride. Oh, I'm just spinning. That's not recovery. As a matter of fact, surfing the internet is not even recovery. Recovery is quiet, zero input. Control your breathing and get your hormones back in line. Get your sympathetic and parasympathetic uh, systems in check and balance. That's what recovery is. It's not talking on the phone. It's not watching TV, going to theater and certainly surfing the internet. All right. So there's more to come, but I wanted to do this one on the genetic bandwidth and overtraining, how much strength is enough for you guys so we can set the pattern and do what IHP does, which is to move the industry in a better direction.